This is Jimmy coming at you 2021, baby. Ready to pod. Oh, just in time. Oliver's calling. Hey, man. What up? What's up with you? Just got done doing some yard work. Um, nice. Yeah, I'm sitting up like a little uh, garden. Manual labor. Yeah. That sounds nice. What, what do you got in there? Some broccoli, some vetch. Oh, some wow. So Sarah's here, too. Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hello, hello. Welcome to the boys' room. The boys' club? <laughs> the boys' club. That was some girlfriend simulator. <laughs> we are here to talk about the GME stock. <laughs> Jimmy stock. The Jimmy stock. <laughs> nice. I'm going all in on Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What's your portfolio look like? <laughs> um, it's pretty empty. She's got a full portfolio at her house of all kinds of beautiful art. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Is that what you do? Are you an artist? Yeah, I, I used to be. I'm more of a gardener now. That's right. Oh, the flowers. Flowers are dope. I fucking love flowers. <laughs> fucking love flowers. Oliver, you said you were doing some gardening. <laughs> I can see she's rubbing off on you. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the first things we did together was just like weed my yard. <laughs> that was funny. What a first yeah. thing. <laughs> Manual labor. <laughs> Wanna go weed my yard? <laughs> it's romantic. You found the right person because I was like, fuck yes, you I guys, will. Yeah, you guys fit. Yeah. You guys fit each other. That's great. I've been so busy trying to, I did a whole dance planning about stonks. Stonks. I'm trying to not it. say stonks. I'm, tr I'm trying to not say stonks because it's one of those things that's like... It's a meme word. The low-hanging fruit joke on the internet for a week that everybody's going to cringe and regret for the next year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Doesn't it get worse than Jimmy Kimmel's jokes? Ugh. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for sending me that. I incorporated that as well. Bad. Jimmy Kimmel says that uh, it was Russians. Russians <laughs> tanked the stock market. Wait, really? Yeah. Yes. He said that? What the Russian hell? disruptors. He's not the only one either. Washington Post says that too. And That's like the blue anon like short circuit in the brain. Yeah. There's a certain demographic blue of anon, people that hear anything and they go. It could be America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They go, how can I fit this into like a yeah. liberal eschatology narrative? Yeah. With the fallout of information, like hard facts and things like you start to realize so much of life is just conjecture and just like, I got a hunch about something. Yeah. I like that the name stonk, Stonks came out. <laughs> Conversely, it's like a, it's a way of changing our vocabulary to think of stocks as something approachable. And somewhat ridiculous. And ridiculous. And somewhat yeah. ridiculous, yes. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, you realize, okay, this is all like a goofy game. It's a game. Which it, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that they're making fun of 10 it. Years. But the only reason I want to get in on this one, and I did today finally, I got like five shares in Robinhood. I mean, in uh, <laughs> GME. Just getting into it for the ridiculousness of it. Like I didn't know. I didn't know it could be applied this way. Like used this way. Just to to, to form like an active aggression upon a hedge fund. Yeah. To me, that feels good. Like finally have a feel like I have a voice. It feels like it's it's like one tool in the tool bag. You know, because it feels like it's still it's you're still trying to dismantle the you know the master's house with the master's tools kind of. Right. Kind of falls along in those lines a bit. Yeah. But it's still like, you know, you can still wreck some shit up with some with some tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do some damage. A hammer still a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never I never fully understood that phrase. Like I, I it got hammered into my brain in like a class in college, but I never understood why it's absolute this truth. And if it is they say you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, but I've seen plenty of evidence to suggest otherwise. It can't be fully dismantled, but it can be partially dismantled. It could be weakened. I think it could be dismantled either like really temporarily or it can be, but it's hard for it to find ways of any like lasting meaningful change using, using those mechanisms that they devise. Because you have to create something new to replace what you're destroying. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Because it... Yeah. As soon as we find an exploit like this, you know, everybody can cash in and cash out, but then they patch the exploit and, you know, it it's just kind of becomes like a spectacle for a couple days. But I mean, it's like so many of the other things that we've talked about, um, where it's like, it feels good and it, it feels like justice, but it's not comprehensive redistributive justice. And if, if it doesn't lead to something bigger, 
then it sort of just functions as a pressure release valve. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true, but like people use that as an argument to not even do it in the first place. And that's what bugs yeah, me. Yeah, you can't like, succumb to nihilism. You can't get totally black pills. That's true. That's true. Yeah, they say, they say things. It's like somebody saying, I'm not going to do this. We have no meat. This, this, whole, this whole month, our country's going to try to eat no meat. And somebody's going to say, well, if, you're not, if we're not all becoming vegans, then what's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And they don't participate. And it's like, yeah, to, yeah that's nihilism, purist. right? Yeah, purism. Yeah. And gate, gatekeeping. That's true. I'll take mm -hmm. what I can get. Probably the best result to come of this is that, like you said, Sarah, it does make it pretty clear that the stock market is just pretend, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. it sort of just satirizes everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it also, like, lays bare a lot of the exploitive behavior that has been institutionalized in the market that now a few people figured out how to turn around on establishment power that used to use it. And so now those people are probably not going to be able to get away with it to the extent that they used to. That's right. a positive. They've kind of been forced to show their hand. Like, oh, wait, we actually can change the rules whenever we want. That, that was the other, um, like, probably the other best thing to come out of this is all the really hilarious clips of like just you know wall street vampires going on the news and crying about how this is the great moral crisis of our lifetime yeah um and and blaming it on so many weird things i've seen like all these ridiculous think pieces about how it's uh anti-semitism uh it's gamergate whoa, whoa. uh yeah. this lesbian joker looking uh, a woman went on Maddow and said that it was a Bannon, Steve Bannon psyop. Just the craziest, oh like, mental gymnastics. Or there's one about how Reddit is all frat boys, so it's a sexist movement. Yes. Or Re Reddit is, the Wall Street bets is all, is all, you know, white boys. That's the funniest when it's written by someone that totally doesn't understand or have any working knowledge of the internet, and so they just, like, like, the, there was one that compared, it, it was an explainer, that described how the Wall Street bet situation is a symptom of Trumpism. And one of the points they made was, was that Reddit is also uh, a hangout spot for some of the most ardent Trump supporters. Like, <laughs> do you realize Reddit, you realize how big Reddit is? Like, Reddit's also a hangout spot for bestiality apologists. That doesn't yeah. mean that if you're a day trader, you're also into bestiality. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's pretty lame. They just don't seem to understand how it works. It's you know so what really... Annoying fucked me up was hearing NPR talk about it. This is what made me decide to actually buy stock in GME. And I, oh, like, really? Over the last, say? Over the last few months, I I uh, noticed that NPR is starting to say a lot more, like, shill kind of statements. Huh. I was like, you know, I was all bummed. Like, I was like, oh, they got bought. Like, what happened? Keep the peace, people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I keep hearing stuff like anti- um, you know, anti-aggression or anti-protest or anti-this and that, you know, just trying to keep the peace, exactly. I don't know how to describe it, but it just started to sound like shills. And then I heard on the radio that, like, all these people from Reddit were buying stock in GME, but they're they're not sophisticated. They got this expert from the stock market on, and they're like, they're not sophisticated enough to know what's really going on, and they're going to lose a lot of money. They better get out of it. It was like, it felt like a parent, a cautionary. Yeah. Paternalizing. It just felt so whack, and I was like, damn, that solidified it in my mind. What'd you call Paternalizing. it? Paternalizing. Yeah, it felt like that. Patronizing, more yeah. like. Patronizing, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're doing. Listen to the experts. Yeah. He kept saying that word, not sophisticated. And that's why I love that Wall Street vets like ran with it. They're like, we're just a bunch of apes. Yay, I'm happy to finally become a retard. And like, just like, <laughs> <laughs> just going for it. I think it. that's yeah. the first R word drop on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they use it a lot. It's been a good ride. Yeah. Yeah, everyone on the Wall Street Bets, Reddit, and Discord affectionately refer to themselves as either autists or retards, which is why that's the reason they cited for why, at the height of the coordinated short squeeze, they uh, shut both of them down and deplatformed the whole thing, mm -hmm. which obviously, you know, very convenient timing. Um, they, said, they said it was because they were doing hate speech. Insensitive. It's that censorship thing coming back. Exactly. To exactly. bite us already. Already. Yeah. Not even a yeah. month after the Capitol. I'm going to sound pretty ignorant here, but 
Is it insensitive to call yourself retarded yes. affectionately? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not making a case for why you should throw around the term retarded. Um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But to to cite that as a reason to shut shut down the boards when it, it's abundantly clear they were doing it because they wanted to stop the coordination uh, between all these retail traders is just it's just so bold faced out in the open censorship. You kind of have to expect that on a corporate platform, though, or a corporatized platform. I would expect it from Reddit more, uh, just because they, I mean, they already have a history of doing that. They shut down the Donald, but they also shut down a bunch of leftist communities. Yeah, not, um, they say it's to appear balanced, but that was probably the initial target. Right, it's just to narrow the uh, window of acceptable discourse. <laughs> things start to get more difficult like with covid i feel like we started to walk those first steps away from identity politics and as as things start to become more real like the you start to see more of the effects of climate change or as suffering becomes more yeah suffering becomes more yeah we're on our doorstep apparent like yeah you know the homeless crisis the um the uh prison the incarceration crisis the mm-hmm. if as, lo- as soon as those things start to really show up on our doorsteps like all the identity politics kind of wash away because we start looking unconsciously for a strong leader and we start looking to their mannerisms and their like uh and their words as opposed to like the stuff yeah. that was more entertaining before it was more about entertainment i mean yeah it it could go both ways though like seeing that suffering that suffering in Germany is what set Hitler up for power because he had the right words and the charisma mm-hmm. in a time when people were all really suffering. That's a good point. Yeah, it could either go, it could go either way. And I, I feel like that happens in, you know, the analogous uh, metaphors I'd like to think of. Um, it happens as well. You have a choice when you hit rock bottom, right? You have a choice to become an aggressor or Uh, like in a negative sense or you have a choice to step up and like transmute that energy into something positive breakdowns and the breakthroughs so to speak yeah exactly breakdowns are for breakthroughs i like that so yeah there's always going to be that risk you know that we're taking by letting things get that bad it could get worse like way worse so that's a good i think identity politics is starting to become a lot more challenge lately because I've seen a lot more things online about Obama being a war criminal, which is completely true, but it's also yeah. something that's not it's a while. been yeah, talked about right. until now. That is refreshing to finally see. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I think the first episode we did of this podcast, I said some stuff about like Obama not being a good president. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. Him being a good statesman, but not a good president. And mm-hmm. and then I remember being like, oh, we should edit that out. That's too hot of a take. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. And that was like maybe a year ago. Mm. Yeah, I remember agreeing, but like being hesitant to talk about it and agree. To go in mm-hmm. depth. To go in depth about that. But not yeah. really knowing why I agreed even, because I don't know the details, you know. I was, I can admit, I was pretty blinded too by the excitement of getting a black man in the White House, you know, because he was so cool and so proper. So novel. And so, yeah, that I was I was definitely seeing with rose, rose-colored glasses. Like, I was, ex- I had all these expectations and hopes and of, like, what America was going to be because of that. And, it, yeah, definitely, I didn't see, I can't, I can't really point to details of how it actually came to fruition in a that positive of a way because... And it was partially because he was blocked at every turn, but um, he tried to he tried to instate universal health care, which was huge, you know. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. I mean, Obamacare, I would consider the biggest impediment to uh, Medicare for all, because it was so pared down and negotiated down into something that well, yeah, was absolutely not functionally what single payer health care or socialized medicine is. It was still health care in a marketplace, but it's used. Uh, it's pointed to by critics of socialized medicine as, well, look, Obamacare didn't work when it has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But the only reason for that is because he was fighting against 
the the house, right? Like right now we have the house uh, uh, majority, he, he so we can actually both. pass things. Like they're the ones who pared it down. Obama didn't no, he, pare he it down. He had both. He had both too. He had majority. Yeah, for the first uh, his first uh, two years at least, he had. Uh, I think it was actually the, just the first two years. He had a majority in Congress and could have done could have passed anything. Don't you have to have like a two thirds majority or something to pass? No, he could have done it. Like they they that's because. Because they filibustered him, right? With the minority? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. But he, he had the biggest majority that we've had ever in recent history. And still didn't really? get any. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, also, it's worth pointing out he was okay. kind of in the pocket from the beginning. Like, this whole Wall Street situation the has, Wall Street thing, yeah. brought, it has brought up a lot of grievances all the way back to 2008, you know, around that period, the housing crisis. It's worth pointing out that Obama let Citibank handpick his cabinet before he was even elected, like while he was still running, because of their donations to his campaign. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the same people that he went on to bail out, which cost taxpayers more than, literally, more than uh, Bush's entire war on terror and all of Trump's weird ego projects, whatever that shit was combined <laughs> wait how crazy. did he cost wait what costed more the, the cost of the bailout was more than oh, the, bailouts. the bailout yeah oh yeah i think one of the things that radicalized me was in that campaign obama and versus mccain if you look at the top donors of both parties they were the exact same list yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. in yeah. different orders what I, that list is very telling holy That's shit point. controlled opposition yeah exactly they're all the same party it's good cop yeah. bad cop yeah it, it, it's good cop bad cop it's uh uh, what's the, I was using a metaphor the other day. You remember that movie, The Village? Yeah. yeah. The M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> With the old people. <laughs> right. Sorry. So you're, so the old people, all right, so you're like a kid in the spoiler. village. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't want to ruin this incredible movie if you haven't seen it by now. But, incredible 30-year-old movie. Right. It's like a puritanical, idyllic, bucolic village in the middle of the forest, and they tell everyone, uh, don't go outside because there's monsters out there and and the whole movie is about there's actually monsters out in the forest we have always had since the day we settled here a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders we do not stray into their woods they do not come into our village but then at the end, here's the spoiler, uh, that you know you find out that the monsters are actually just the nice uh, village elders in costume. And so, you know, you got a left wing that's like the good cop, the bleeding heart liberals that really, really want to give you- Universal uh, healthcare. Per, yeah, healthcare and a $2,000 stimulus check. $15 minimum wage. A living wage. But we can't because there's these bad, bad guys on the other side yeah. that, Uh-oh. you know, our hands are tied. <laughs> oh, I wish we could. I really do. That's so true. Yeah, you're right. I'm getting sick of that fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Why did we Why did we start talking I about that? Oh, because they're both, because with Obama, they're both, they're both, uh, yeah, two sides of the this same. This is where movie. we always end up, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted, at some point, before Sarah yeah. has to go, I wanted to hear her take on um, free speech to cops. Oh, yeah, you said that in the text. I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. She's been looking at these videos of a uh, guy who... I, I don't want to mess it up by describing it wrong, but I'll hear yeah, it. Yeah. I just want to you know, give us that opportunity to discuss that. Okay, <laughs> so I've been watching First Amendment audits is what they're called. Okay. Basically, it's mostly... There's different tactics, but it's mostly a person taking walking around with a camera in a public place. It's legal both federally and in almost all state laws that on federal property, like a post office or um, a DA's office, something like that, you can walk around and film the inside and the outside of buildings as long as you stay out of restricted areas. And um, these people go around filming and they'll stay until someone gets pissed pretty much or tells them to stop filming and almost always the cops get called and then the auditor gets to school the cops on his first and fourth (laughs) amendment rights. Um, Which... It's just really fun yeah. to watch cops get schooled in yeah. the first place. But I've also been learning a lot about, like, our constitutional rights. 
which is something that they kind of teach you in high school, but they don't hammer it in the way that I think they should. And of course, watching these videos have sent me down a couple of wormholes of different legalities, and now I'm kind of on a gun rights kick. And You're on a gun rights mm -hmm. kick? Yeah, it's just been really enlightening. Nice. I'm a closeted gun rights supporter. <laughs> closeted? He <laughs> doesn't like to talk about you. Yeah. I mean, it's a touchy subject. It is, yeah. And I don't necessarily love guns, and obviously the culture around guns is pretty fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no, but I think it's one of the most important rights that we do have that we should stick by because when you have a military and you have a police force, which is basically a standing army, which is really, really scary, you need a civilian army. You do. Like, we all love to laud Martin Luther King Jr. for his peaceful practices, but the Black Panthers and their quote-unquote violent tactics had just as much, if not more, to do with policy change. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't policy change until, until what, what was it? The Black Panthers marched on, uh, was it the Capitol? Yeah, they're mm -hmm. standing on exactly. the Capitol steps, yeah. yeah. With guns. With guns. Like, here's how we meet business, you know? We care mm -hmm. this much. Mm -hmm. And as much as that image of the guy with grocery bags standing in front of a tank, was it Hong Kong? Oh, you're talking about Tiananmen Square. Yes, exactly. As much as that image inspires people and is a beautiful way of thinking about things, like that guy got killed. That guy got killed. Yeah. Like it's a beautiful image, but it's also the a tanks. distraction. Yeah. I joined the um, Socialist Rifle Association. Which is like the left-wing antithesis to the NRA. You did? That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I guess I'm a closeted gun owner too because I've literally got a gun in my closet. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna join that association. It sounds great. That'll definitely take the wind out of their sails because it's like, um, I feel like when you know parents are mad at their kids for getting too far into something like Pokemon, the best thing they can do is, like... Feed it. Start start getting into Pokemon themselves, and the kids are going to be like, wow, this isn't fucking cool anymore. <laughs> I'm so over if, like, Pokemon. the socialists get into it... What if the socialists get into guns? They're going to... That's probably the biggest <laughs> counter Right, that. right. The worst outcome would be a, uh, a right-wing um, premium on gun rights and gun ownership, which is exactly. functionally what, what we have by a large margin. Exactly. Because as much as I hate many of their policies and ideas and way of looking at the world, that's, I think, the one thing that they have right. Yeah, it's an easy endpoint if you want to, like, bond with and de-radicalize or re-radicalize leftward with uh, someone who identifies as right-wing. I have a lot of friends who would probably identify as, like, libertarian or uh, anarcho-capitalist. Maybe they're, like, prepper, like, survivor-type guys. But there are many inroads. There are many, like... Um, there's a Venn diagram of mutual interest that has more to do with top and bottom than with left and right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Class justice is not a partisan issue. Again, partisan is distraction. And they've shown in Vietnam and uh, Iraq, they have the ability of fighting off an entire army, just people with guns sitting in their houses. Like, it actually works. Like, you can't win a war against, you know, a million people with guns sitting in their houses hiding. That's like, it's an unwinnable war. So it shows... At the very least, that shows us, these wars showed us that we actually do have power in the modern era against all these tanks and missiles and shit. Mm. That might be one good thing to the Capitol incident, is if, if right-wingers can do that. And obviously they had support and help from some of the higher classes, but... Yeah, there was something going on, for sure. But it makes you think, well, if they could do it, why couldn't we? Why couldn't leftists be that brave? Yes, yes. It is a little embarrassing that like a mentally ill uh, flash mob at the Capitol and then a bunch of right. amateur Wall Street bros were able to do more direct action than the uh, yes. the left wing that's been assimilated into this like bubble art infographic uh, <laughs> method of political engagement. Although I have to say, like, um, I think the left has been really good at other forms of becoming ungovernable, like mutual aid um, mm -hmm. is really big right now among the left. And I think that's a little bit more important than self-defense. Totally. It's being able to take care of each other. What is mutual aid? Um, Obvious. It's basically communities being able to support themselves with food, with medication. So instead of depending on like um, a food program like SNAP or EBT, mm -hmm. right. you have a local community food bank where literally everyone in the neighborhood donates and whoever needs it comes and picks up food every week. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. 
those little free libraries that you see everywhere, that's a form of mutual aid. Oh, yeah. She was telling me people have uh, mm. started putting food in there and, like, blankets and stuff. Yeah, like tampons and shit. Wow. <laughs> Things that Cute. people need. Yeah, period poverty is a real thing, too. Yep. A lot of people living on the street, houseless, who don't have access to the dignity of tampons, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet we got that. Did you see that... Um, Mural of our our uh, GB RGB out of like seventy thousand tampons. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> At like a hotel or something. What's RGB? Uh, Ruth Gator, uh, RBG. No RGB. I got it. Uh, okay. Ruth, ba- yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> Say that five times. <laughs> yeah, you make a, a good point, Sarah, because it's fun to fantasize about all the ways to tear the system down, but. You have to be able to offer people a positive politics too. If we're going to displace these symptoms or these uh, systems mm-hmm. that don't work, what are we gonna yeah. replace them with? Exactly, exactly. And it kind of like gardening is a great analogy for that because if you want to, if you want, if you have a yard that's covered in weeds, you can take the time for five years straight to pull out every single weed, and that will eventually get rid of most of them. But the better way is to plant something that's even more suited to the environment that will eventually take over and push the weeds out Mm. right so if you find Mm -hmm. ways of supporting each other that basically renders government assistance obsolete it it just seems like that would be the most peaceful way of transitioning power back to the people that's great that's that's even better than my village metaphor (laughs) (laughs) you got gardening on the brain before you got on on here dan we uh we were were talking about um what we were doing earlier today I just planted this uh, garden in the back of my house. Uh, just started, just getting started with it. You're a revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Food sovereignty. Oh, That's- yeah. Food sovereignty. Yeah, you're always talking about that. If we can, so I want you to describe this, but like as much as I want to describe this, but like it's about planting like fruits oh, all around. Mm-hmm. All Let around Oliver mansplain it and then explain it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make it massive. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's just basically it, being able to feed yourself and others. So, like, gorilla gardening is something I got into for a long time, but you're basically tearing out landscape plants and replacing them with edible landscape plants. Mm. Like, the idea is to surround yourself and everyone else with plants that are useful, medicinal, edible. And it's, it, makes it, it makes it easier for these movements to take place because you have more security from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You feel more likely, people are more likely to speak up at their, at their work or at their, if they feel like, oh, I, you know, there's, you know, for some reason, I think subconsciously, it just feels good to have all these plants at your, just accessible all around your neighborhood. You could just walk out your door and yeah. have an apple and a mango and a <laughs> yucca fruit and, and it just feels, yeah, like it's not such a big deal if you lose your job or it's not such a big deal if you, yeah. You can still feed your family. Yeah. Especially if you live in a food desert where there's no market incentive yes. for like a grocery chain to offer fresh produce mm-hmm. in that area. Yeah. That'd be huge. So like what what else is your option unless you can, as a community, come together and solve a problem, mm-hmm. you know, like urban gardens and things yeah, like exactly. that. exactly. You guys know what the number one crop grown in the U.S. is? Either wheat or soy or corn, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure it's grass, if you consider that a crop. I mean, you're right. We grow a ton of corn and soy. We have a surplus of it. But, yeah, grass outweighs anything else that's grown. Yeah, lawns. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that'd be so good to replace that with food. Just have, like... Instead of... Like, they used to have with, like, everybody's got their own tract of land. They're all farmers. Mm -hmm. You could have... Every little house has its own little patio of food. Mm-hmm. Just trading carrots with your neighbors for beets. And just. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to talk about utopian views like that. Talk about it with everybody because it's exciting and it's possible and it's it's really, really doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we already went through the transition in Colorado Springs and Albuquerque and I'm sure other cities all across the country to Xeriscape lawns where they started incorporating plants that were required less water and uh, just to save water on their lawns. And I feel like that's the first step mm-hmm. towards what, what Sarah's talking about. Like that's so what Sarah's talking about is the next step, really thinking about the soil, the natural abilities in the climate and the, of the land, and then applying it would be the next step. That's 
to me, that's analogous to anytime you go through a dramatic change in your life, first you need to purge, right? Like xeriscaping is like the purge of all the <laughs> stuff that you thought was positive, but it's actually negative, like grass, for example. And then comes the uh, replacement, the slow replacement of uh, what's there in that land. You know? Yeah. There's something healthy, something that you might actually be able to yeah. use in the future. Cool. Well, I'm coming over to your guys' place for a house salad next time I'm in Albuquerque. <laughs> On the house. And the coolest part about it, like all this stuff that I'm learning is like the ways that we take for granted as like um, for taking care of your lawn, a lot of them are backwards and broken. Like um, the big plastic tarp you put underneath your lawn to protect from weeds right. is like intuitively it's whack, right? But it's also sustainably it's not a good idea. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work for a variety of reasons. And um, the other things people do like um, tilling and that's a good example of something that actually breaks up the uh, microbial or the rhizomatic potential the microbial potential of the soil. A lot of things that we have been doing that like don't actually work um, could be an incentive for people to get involved, like excited about this kind of stuff. You know, it, I don't know about other people, but it excites me, like the ability to look at taking care of your lawn in a completely new and different way. Mm-hmm. Invest in carrots and beets. Yeah. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> or like layering. Uh, you were telling me about layering, Sarah, where you just put like cardboard and on top of whatever you've got going on, like grass, for example, and it kills the grass in a, in a way that the nutrients from the grass can actually be reused. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you could actually do like eco-terrorism to someone's lawn by covering it in cardboard? Exactly. <laughs> oh, yes. <shit. laughs> eco-terrorism. Next level. Well, you might have to edit out that word. I feel like you'll get pegged for that. Yeah. 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 So it came out recently that the leader of the Proud Boys mm. was, mm. for quite a while, an FBI informant. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So this is that, this is that kind of shit that I, I feel like I bring up most episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, we've talked about it in the past in the context of Occupy, because one of the anonymous uh, Sabu, that hacker guy, who was like, instrumental in furnishing the Occupy movement was actually an FBI informant. Um, So it stands Mm. to speculate that the FBI had some kind of a hand in how Occupy played out. And this, I think, is a pretty good evidence that that happens uh, on both sides. Talking about controlled opposition again, um, it stands to reason that a lot of the Proud Boys activity, since he became an informant, or leading up to it, because the business model of the FBI is also to radicalize people to the point that they do something illegal um, and then get them working for them. So it, it paints an interesting picture to me of a, uh, like a Sarkovian, that's uh, Vladislav Surkov, the Russian avant-garde theater person who created like a genre of political theater where you fund both sides of political movements and then reveal to people that both sides have been funded by the state the whole time to create this sort of disorientation where you never know what to believe. Mm. But I mean, Mm -hmm. to me, it means it's pretty likely that a lot of what the Proud Boys have done were at the behest of the FBI for however many years that he's been an informant. Makes sense. It's crazy. That is crazy. That's like hard to wrap my head around, you know? Well, isn't that kind of the point? Like, you get paralyzed if you don't know what to believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you act? Right, right. It reminds me of over the summer, um, you know, during the race riots last summer. People were posting, watch out, they're leaving pallets full of bricks mm-hmm. oh, yeah. along protest routes to get people to throw them through windows, and they want to make it violent. I went to one in Beverly Hills, and there was a patrol car on fire in the middle of the street in Beverly Hills. And then I saw a bunch of people who were there saying that they watched police roll uh, like an old cop car into the middle oh of the street, God. and then mm-hmm. someone just came out of nowhere uh, and threw a Molotov into it, and it all felt very staged. Wow. Jimmy, when we were at that protest in 2016, when we mm-hmm. rollerbladed into that protest... Yeah. ...and did nothing illegal, <laughs> <laughs> and 
and broke no laws. Of course. Uh, but might have participated in a bunch of people storming the interstate. You could definitely tell who among the crowd was a police plant. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty obvious. Mm. There's a look. You, you know an arc when you see it. And they've got their little, like, Nextel walkie-talkie. And they keep, <laughs> they're like, okay, now they're going this way. Hey, fellow anarchist. You want to do some violence? Yeah. Yeah, and why has it always been on anarchists? <laughs> Did you tell me that stat the other day that uh, 80% of people who have been murdered in jail have been anarchists? Oh, no, um, government executions oh, government for executions. things like treason. And it's I don't remember the statistic, but it was an astronomically high percentage oh, wow. of people executed for political reasons have been anarchists. Oh, wow. Even though statistically anarchists have caused the least amount of mayhem. Interesting. Oh, that's, that is interesting. I, I want to know that statistic now. Yeah, that's really interesting. It makes sense, too, that the people who are on top, like the, the FBI, feel like they have the authority to do an insurrection or to get involved in that kind of way. A good example is like a hacker, right? Hackers get used to um, write software to prevent hacking at companies. Yeah, white hat. Because right? they know the field, right? So the only, pe- the only people who would feel strongly enough that they had the power to do something like an insurrection or a, a violent mob or something like that wouldn't be the actual protesters themselves who have never done it before, but the people who are involved on a daily basis with these on, kinds of... overthrowing governments and... <laughs> yeah, People who have done this before, it doesn't matter. They don't care what side they're on. It's more like the principle of the thing. Like they've already crossed that threshold, that boundary, and because of that, they're more, in my opinion, more likely to be the culprits in these cases. Like it takes a lot of, I don't know, gusto <laughs> to come out from nothing, just as an angry, an angry citizen, and just do something like that, like assassinate a president. But if you are have already been involved in things like that, it's, it's much more believable to me that you could theoretically pu- actually pull off something like that, right? Because you know the, the, you know the defense inside and out. The more that I learn in sort of the post-public education education, the, the more clear it becomes the scope to which the intelligence community, if you want to call it that, or maybe the deep state, although that term has kind of become uh, appropriated and tainted by like QAnon and a lot of right-wing loonies, um, but the, the scope to which state intelligence has a hand in pushing so much of history, of political movements uh, on all sides and in all directions. In all parts of the world. And in all parts of the world. Color revolutions in all different countries. And we're seeing them every day. I mean, not that this is necessarily a a case study for that. I don't know anything about it, but there was just a coup in Myanmar. And, you know, the list of coups that were supported by the United States in in left-wing governments uh, abroad is very long. And it's uh, still happening to this day. Uh-huh. You know, Venezuela, Bolivia. And of course, this same, you know, it stands to reason that the same tactics mm-hmm. are being deployed here, but in a more covert way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, if you look at statistics, most robberies are inside jobs, right? Most rapes are committed by people you know. Yeah, another good example. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Most kidnappings happen from uh, <laughs> members, of, members family. of the family. <laughs> it's getting dark, right? Yeah. Well, you they fantasize about it. You have the trust of the people around you. You know you could get away with it because you've planned it out in your head. Like talking about like robbing the store you work at, you know. Which we support and endorse on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Steal from your employers. So I've been kind of thinking about it in terms of that, like, um, like what, what would you guys do if you found yourself suddenly in control of like a hedge fund, you know, or somehow like oh, you, yeah. you could push a magic button and it would make you like, you know, in total control of all funds, like billions of dollars. Like, how would you... I would get fired. I would get fired immediately for my first decision. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's this movie Blank Check. Blank check. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's the idea I'm working with you. Where a kid gets a million dollars, and that million yeah. dollars goes very, very far, even by like 1986 dollars or whenever this movie came out. <laughs> it was a 90s movie. He buys a mansion, yeah. uh, installs a water slide, and oh, yeah. I think has so like a good. weird, like a weird, like romance with a with a adult woman. Yeah. Now he's buying more stuff. You have a house. Meeting more women. Baby brother comes into his own. Makes you wonder if that's what happened to, uh, like, this hedge fund, right? 
Like, did, was there somebody in charge who intentionally sabotaged his own hedge fund, right? <laughs> by 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 orchestrating a massive short, short squeeze. Huh. Yeah. I don't want to believe that that's the case. That was sort of the the position that Elizabeth Warren was espousing on the news. She was like, "There's, are you sure? You know, people like to tell a David and Goliath story, but are you sure there aren't rich people on both sides? I think there's wealthy people on both sides." We all see what's happening with GameStop. There are rich people on both sides of this, people who are uh, trying, it appears, to manipulate this market. Which sounded a lot like Trump's Charlottesville line, you know, kind of equivocating. That's what Elizabeth his, Warren uh, said? That's what Elizabeth Warren said, yes. Oh, wow. She was very much hmm. taking a position that this is bad for Wall Street, but it's also bad for America. It's bad for Wall Street, but ultimately it's bad for our country. That's pretty much word hmm. for word what she said. Um, Man, that is such and a bummer. I, you know, it is a bummer. Yeah, I mean, she's ever since she kneecapped Bernie. I'm. I heard Jimmy just to make you feel a little bit better. Uh, GM, GME, the downtick, was what's called like a ladder position. You heard about this? Oh, a ladder position? Um, no, explain that. They ladder the stock down incrementally by buying, by like shorting themselves like in little tiny bits incrementally. But because they have so many billions of dollars, they make the stock look like it's dropping, and then everybody oh, starts. Oh yeah, to yeah. Make everyone have a panic sell. Everybody starts selling their shares. All the redditors. Right, right. Yeah, that's why shorting at the scale that hedge funds do it when they're moving around so much capital could be considered tantamount to market manipulation, mm -hmm. because they can make the needle drop and make everyone else panic and sell. Mm. And the ideal scenario for them is for the company to literally go bankrupt and then they don't even have to buy back the shares. They get a, a full, you know, massive return. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly what the Wall Street Bets guys did the opposite of, you know, called their bluff and instead yeah. manipulated the stock upwards. But it's bad when we do it. Right. Peasants aren't allowed to manipulate the market. No. It's funny. There's also these uh like put out like these bullshit uh patterns. They they try to make think people as predictable as possible, like the masses. You know, uh, what is that one? It's like a head and shoulders is a pattern you're supposed to be looking for. What they do is they tell everyone to look for this pattern and then to buy when they spot this pattern. This kind of like you know this thing that kind of occurs randomly. Um, and and they're doing it knowing that. Um, they're going to actually like do the opposite. So they're going to short it, you know, and make all this money off people and then they just suck them dry. <laughs> well, that's what's cool about the transition from media, um, mediums of advertisement or uh, just media in general to like yeah. Reddit. When people stop listening to that shit and they start look, looking at our Wall Street bets, it gives us the opportunity to take the power back and just say, you know, fuck you to all that. We're just going to do everything together. Yeah, and we're as powerful. We're more powerful than a hedge fund now. Yeah, right. I mean, we're, I, we're I more think powerful than a hedge fund, right? We're too small I, to fail. I don't. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah, we're like, if we lose two hundred dollars, it's like okay, <laughs> or four, five yeah. hundred dollars, or thousand yeah. dollars. It's not that big a deal. They're but adding them, limits though now because if you have less than a thousand dollars in your or twenty five thousand, it's a pretty high cutoff. You have to have have twenty five thousand dollars in your portfolio or in your whatever like E Trade account. For yeah. it to even let you buy and sell more than twice in a, a week. Right, to be a day trader oh, okay. and do arbitrage at a, at a certain frequency. So they sort of like cut off all of those Sorry, people who ahead. only have like, you know, up to $25,000. Because it's like, you know, they're trying to cut out volatility. They're trying to make the market as predictable <clears throat> as possible. Um, that's actually still not as bad as it was before. When I first bought stock, it was like 10 years ago. And you had to pay yeah. a dividend, or you had to pay a fee every time you did a transaction. Now it's free, right? Well, that's because they're selling about... your data to those companies. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good point. Right. That's how Robin Hood makes their money. Like I was saying, the predictability. I was wondering how they're making their money. They sell. Okay, so they sell our data. Because stock market's all about predictability. If you can predict it, you can short it. You know, if it's gonna go down, if it's gonna go up. Like that's all it is. That's the whole game. Is boils down to predictability. And so if they take all that mass okay. data of people buying and selling, they that you know, put that through like a supercomputer or something, you know, whatever whatever, you know, some algorithm mm -hmm. that like does all that work for them, you know? Yeah, but we but the cool thing is that we can take the power back now with the with just, just by talking on Reddit and uploading each other. It used to be that these hedge funds that would you know, made a business model out of this shorting 
process would disclose in advance that they were going to short the stock because small potatoes traders who subscribe to their newsletter or whatever would follow in lockstep with what they were doing Mm -hmm. as is the goal of the short they would hear oh they're shorting it okay i'm going to sell it or i'm going to short it as well okay um and they've now said the the guy who owns uh citron or whatever or citadel i forget there's so many fucking names floating around right now went on tv and he said that they're not going to do that any longer and now they're also there's also did you see the guy in like a cow print suit who went on the news and said that people should be banned from talking about stocks and social media oh my god oh, wow. some some of the was zaniest characters coming out of the woodwork the past couple of days oh yeah i saw that with like the weirdest <coughs> glasses like the super colorful glasses yes guy. yes yes um <laughs> yeah but they <laughs> Him and Lesbian Joker were my favorite of all the characters. <laughs> Lesbian, Lesbian Joker. Joker. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. With the pink hair. Uh-huh. But now they're definitely going to start implementing technology that surveys Reddit, you know, and different online communities for chatter about certain stocks so that they can anticipate these things uh, before they can reach a critical mass. I mean, they already have yeah. on the comments. Every time you make a comment, you have to say, this is not real financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. After every comment, pretty much. It's so, I keep seeing that everywhere. Yeah, I think they'll get banned. They'll get shadow banned if they don't do that. It gets really annoying to hear that. All right, now it's just the boys. Let's get misogynistic. Yeah, I'll take my pants off. It's the men's rights hour. <laughs> Did you guys see the percentage of the short? That was kind of crazy too. No, like, uh, what was it? Was, it? They were shorting it more than the value of the company. Like it was more than a hundred percent, which is like ridiculous. Cause like, if you like have the wall street post take on it, which is that like shorting is actually like a good part of the stock market, like a healthy thing that like brought down Enron. That was their example. Like thanks to shorting, <laughs> like Enron was brought down like, like like they couldn't just stop, you know, brought it down by selling, going out of business. Like, even if that's yeah. how you see it, like, it, there's no reason for it to go above a hundred percent. So it means that these people can kind of like single-handedly bankrupt these uh, companies. Like they did that to Toys R Us. It's the the same hedge fund that shorted Toys R Us, oh. you know, to, into bankruptcy. R.I.P. Oh. Jeffrey the Giraffe. Yeah, it's like a coup de gras for uh, a struggling company that's on its last legs. We got shorted. Do the companies get anything from that? Nah. Their, their value goes down when they get shorted. And they can't, like, well, profit from it because that would be insider trading. Like, if they short themselves because their quarterly projections um, say whatever, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe, I guess there's no benefit until now. Because <laughs> because of the shorting, now GameStop has the ability to come back with a vengeance because of Redditors uh, taking, exploiting a short. Has GameStop come back? What's the yeah, stock I mean, these days? It, it may have saved them from bankruptcy. They can pay a lot of their outstanding loans. Yeah, yeah. Also, all the media attention. If they were to sort of use this as a pivot point to transition to like a digital retailer, which is why their business model was failing, because it was like a mall core, brick and mortar, you know, physical game sales thing. Yeah, who knows? GameStop, whatever. That's that's cool. But I, my hopes are for AMC, because I really want to see movie theaters come back. Definitely. I was going to buy some more stock in AMC today, maybe, um, as soon as I got a chance. But, yeah. Didn't it go down to 7 or something today? Yeah, it's pretty low. I mean, I don't... I was trying to... That's what I was wondering. I don't know if these are going to go back up. The The language around it is starting to sound like QAnon thinking. It's like, trust the plan, hold the... Lo- uh, but yeah. uh, who knows? There's so much conflicting information. There's, like, just so many speculations and weird theories and there's a good chance we're never going to know for certain. You know, things will come out over the coming year. Of course, they'll make a bunch of shitty, like, straight-to-streaming movies about this. With fucking, what's his name? What was the guy who was on SNL? Oh, uh, Pete Davidson. Yeah, with Pete Davidson playing deep fucking value in a wig. It's, it's weird. It's hard to sift through the information. I just like the idea of it and, yeah, just the principle of the thing. It is fun. It is. I mean, even if it's not like comprehensive re- redistributive justice, it's it's been fun. It's been cute, <laughs> and, and you love to see it. Yeah. yeah. The best advice I got was, don't put in more than you'd be willing to spend to kick a 
Wall Street guy in the balls. Yeah, I, that's about yeah, that's about how much money I'd spend. And I definitely got kicked in the balls. They were pretty spooked. They were crying on TV and stuff. It was pretty crazy. They're crying. Oh, can I? Here, I want to play one of the best clips I saw. This old Wall Street fossil went on the news, and I'll, I'll just play the audio for you guys right now. Okay. The reason the market is doing what it's doing is people are sitting at home getting the checks from the government. Okay, and this fair share is a bullshit concept. It's just a way of attacking wealthy people. And, you know, I think it's inappropriate. We all got to work together and pull together. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. I saw that one. So yeah. such a that's what happens when you attack somebody with an ego like that. Yeah. It really strikes back and it's really funny He's to so see. so self-righteous. Like, it, it really shows you the disconnect someone in that position has yeah. from reality. Like, oh, it, it, we all got to pull together. Like, you really think people think that way about you everyone across the political spectrum pretty much agrees that you should walk off of a building nobody <laughs> nobody likes you yeah they're so insulated from it they're surrounded by yes men and right. have like you know noise canceling headphones and noise canceling cars taking a helicopter from one skyscraper to another yeah they literally only hang out with people who are doing the exact same thing yeah, that same guy was like on tv crying too he was like he's like it hurts because i care yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what? It was such a narcissist thing to say. You can you can tell he's a true believer too. Like, what does he say? This fair share is a bullshit concept. Yeah. Like, he really thinks the the way the world works and the system that has benefited him is for the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why these people a lot for a lot of these people they would rather die than change. Yeah. They're so hopelessly dependent on that system that they will fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the, that's the other thing that I've been doing is um, I've been having a lot of fun reading. Like, you, have you seen these these guys who were hit really hard when they were growing up by the um, housing market crash? You know, their parents lost everything or whatever. They lost their yeah. houses. And now all these guys are scrawling these like revolutionary manifestos that I've been having a lot of fun in my head reading in the same voice as Neo at the end of the Matrix when he's in the phone booth. <laughs> that sounds fun. So cool. Like when you when you push people to their limit, like that's all it takes. Is, and it all comes from. Yeah, I really think it all comes from like what's been happening in america where our leaders the people who are supposed to have the power have been consistently fucking up and just looking like idiots like for so long and like all the fuck-ups the blatantly clear fuck-ups that have happened and even the insurrection on the capitol have have served their purpose like a benefit like a, a karmic role of teaching us that we have more power than we think we do and i think that's the most important lesson we learned this year is like in my opinion was that we actually have a lot more power than we think we do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. This shows the potential of our, you know, our collective potential to yeah, affect change. You know? That's a good analogy for that. Like if you're in a classroom and there's a kid in the classroom who's like just a basket case. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, there's just talking shit to the teacher and cursing at the teacher. All of a sudden, the rest of the students in the class realize mm -hmm. like, whoa, we can do that. And they start like... <laughs> <laughs> They start like the, the the teacher loses control of the class all because of this one yeah. poor kid that's just like just didn't was wasn't raised right you know. Uh, that's a really good example. I there's like I think there's something inside of us that nurtures that those those kids like those feelings. Yeah. When you see that in somebody else like on the street, somebody acting out aggressively in like a clearly emotionally abused, damaged way, and yeah, so yeah. it actually serves a valuable purpose. Like I used to hate people like that. But I don't think that way anymore. Like I think that they're they serve a very valuable function in our society to like yeah. call attention to things that are to like gaping wounds that don't bother us enough to react. But an emotionally sensitive, emotionally damaged person will scream, you know. Yeah. And wear a I Viking hat. <laughs> Paint their face. Yeah, I mean I wish I didn't have to go to like Tucker Carlson to hear actually like a good take on this Wall Street bed stuff like in mainstream news. But it is cool to see how this collective potential is sort of hinted at in this, you know? It could be used as an example going forward. Yeah, people absolutely do. Yeah, manifested. Yeah, manifest. This is, a, this is now a Wiccan podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, people absolutely do have that proclivity to mutiny, that underdog mentality and it is important to be reminded once in a while that 
the world we're living in is not the natural order of things, you know? It takes a lot of effort on part of those in power to suppress that impulse at scale, um, and another world is possible. Well, you remember we had a discussion on another episode about how like power corrupts, but also in a very real way, corruption empowers. Mm. Like there's a corruption reaches a critical mass where it's like a gatekeeper, and those in power share like a mutual culpability where they only uh, allow others into the fore if they will share in their corruption and uh, child adrenochrome sacrifice. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Child adrenal yeah, no, yeah, that, What's that? Yeah, that's like the QAnon, like Satanist pedophile thing. They believe that all the like major players, world leaders, are, are, are harvesting adrenochrome from babies, uh, <laughs> which is like a drug what? that only the hyper wealthy have. You ever heard of this? No, I've heard of uh, like the basics, but not the. I've heard. I didn't never heard of the that they came up with a name for it called adrenochrome. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's like a it's like a meme drug. It was in that mo- that Hunter S. Thompson um, Fear and Loathing really? in Las Vegas. It's like a fictional drug, but the idea is it's a drug that only the extremely wealthy have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are real examples of that, you know, like chemical compounds that mm-hmm. are scheduled to a certain way and not publicly accessible. But yeah, the the idea is it's like something stem cells. I think what's the QAnon take is that it like preserves your youth, but you can only get it from like harvesting it from the adrenal glands of children or infants. And so that's where the whole yeah. child sacrifice thing comes from, which, you know, literally is probably not true. I mean, I'm sure the yeah. the wealthy and powerful get up to some some weird dark cosplay shit. That's probably really goofy, you know, like Bohemian Grove and all that. <laughs> um, I'm sure they indulge that impulse a little bit. Yeah. I don't believe that scenario is necessarily actually taking place, but it is a pretty good, pretty functional metaphor mm-hmm. for power extracting from the innocent and exploiting mm-hmm. the innocent. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I'm glad you said that because it kind of reminds me of that podcast when we're talking about where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. You know? They're wrong <laughs> about how it's happening, but they're right that something's fucking happening. And uh, it's happening in all these different weird ways, these insidious ways that we don't Epstein fully, ways. Uh, yeah, like they're actually preying on children sexually, but they're also extracting wealth from the people, which effectively cannibalizes the people. And then thirdly, assuming they're infected with Wetikoism, like we were talking about earlier, which they definitely are, right? They're greedy motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. They have more than they deserve. Like, that's coming directly from our pockets, which is could be going to putting the child in a better daycare or giving the child better resources to grow up on, right? Yeah. So it's effectively sucking the life out of these children. But the third one is the actual drug is called stem cells. <laughs> like, I love stem cells, but they're not accessible in America. You need thousands and thousands of dollars, and you can access them from placentas. It's like an indirect way. You're not actually hurting the children, but it's a, like it's kind of interesting that you, you get them from infants, right? And uh, you're extracting them from the placenta, and then you're actually paying... They're going overseas and paying thousands of dollars for these injections that prolong their youth. They actually work. Like it's been proven to prolong their youth and it's already happening and nobody can afford it. That was the controversy. It's like a pro-life controversy. They extract the stem cells from like... It's coming from a birthed child. Like after the child is born, what's left over is the placenta and the nurses just throw that away. Oh, it comes from the... It's placental tissue. Yeah. And so instead of throwing it away, they're harvesting it. Okay. There's stem cells in the placental tissue, and you, you can you could save it theoretically for 40 years and then use it on that child. If it if the child ever gets, like, a debilitating disease that can't be cured. Right. Some people freeze their placenta. Uh, yeah. I've heard of people eating it but not freezing it. That's fine. Right now, it's like, it seems kind of harmless because they're just throwing it away anyways. But in the future, where do you think they're going to get their stem cells from? You know, these like 60-year-old people, they're going to get it from kids that, you know, like think about a kid who's like born tomorrow and then gets a life-threatening disease when they're 18 
If they didn't store their placenta, they have no way of curing that disease. Like that's the only way. Stem cells are the only cure for a variety of diseases. Mm. Right. So if a rich person takes that placenta, then it takes away that ability for the child to I see. be cured. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a perverse pursuit of immortality within the hyper-rich. You know, it borders mm-hmm. on like a, a quasi-religious pursuit, you know, because it often deals in very soft sciences and in like therapies that really don't work. Or like, you know, there's the, like, for example, uh, Peter Thiel, the guy who runs Palantir, who I was talking about, um, that's, yeah. that's the like information technology company that ICE uses and that like police use for predictive policing. Mm-hmm. He does a ton of this shit. One of the things he does is the, the Blood Boys thing. I forget what it's at, like the scientific name for it. He, he will pay a healthy young person to transfuse their blood into his body and, yeah. and his nasty mm. old blood into their body. Because um, there's, there's a belief that it can preserve your uh, youth, your vitality, even though scientifically yeah, it's, not true. it's shown to cause way more adverse effects for the young person donating the blood than it causes any positive effects for the older person uh, receiving the transfusion. Yeah. So there's, you know, very diminishing returns, but it's literally something that a ton of these like Silicon Valley people do. Yeah. Just grasping at straws, anything. Like in, to the mo- sp- in the show, Silicon Valley. Right, right, right. They, they parodied it in the show. Are you really not familiar with parabiosis? Regular transfusions of the blood of a younger, physically fit donor can significantly retard the aging process. And Bryce is a picture of health. Just look at him. He looks like a Nazi propaganda poster. Dang. Yeah. I mean, there's the quasi ones, but then there's stem cells, which are actually real. And they're not accessible to the common American because they're not endorsed by our system. And that could have been a, a psyop. I don't actually know what a psyop is, but that could have been intentional. Remember all the bullshit about stem cells that came out from the Republican Party? Oh, yeah, sure. A- against stem cells? If they wanted to make it like a boutique medical procedure that isn't available to the public, just start a impassioned uh, political debate about they're killing babies. Yeah, it's a, it was perfectly used that way because now insurance companies just won't touch it with a with like a 10-foot pole right and so we can't afford it and they can and so that's their you know they have another benefit from from money that we don't have access to right i think about this one a lot because i i've been injecting stem cells into my shoulder and it's been working it's been really helpful because i tore my rotator cuff you've been injecting stem cells into Um, how do you how do you do that Platelet-rich stem cells, right? You like, yeah. you know, take it out of you, they put it in a centrifuge. Platelet-rich plasma, yeah, it comes from my own body. You get your blood, spin it down. You don't take any NSAIDs. You know, there's certain things you have to do to prepare for the procedure, but... Oh, yeah, you told us about this. You're like uh, jailbreaking the process at home. Yeah, and then you inject it into your shoulder. Right now, the procedure costs $400, and it's a professional doing it. Yeah. And so that's what I'm paying for, right, is the convenience and... The professional, right. but like the actual procedure itself, like I mean, not the procedure, but the harvesting of the stem cells from my own body is really freaking simple. Anybody, any idiot could do it. You just pull the blood out of your body like a phlebotomist would, right? Basically, any drug addict can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. You pull it out into a special tube, and then you put it in a centrifuge, a special centrifuge, <laughs> and you spin it down, and you take off the supernatant, which is just the it's a fancy word for after you're done spinning blood, the serum on the top. You take off that, and then you spin it again, and then you take off what's the 10% of the platelet-rich serum or plasma is what's on the top. Is it sorry? Is what's on the bottom of the serum, and then you inject that directly into the spot that hurts. Wow. Simple, right? The only way you can really fuck up this procedure is if you don't sterilize properly and you get an infection in your joint capsule, that could be really bad. But if you just sterilize your skin properly with like some iodine, yeah. they hardly do anything. At this clinic I go to, they just wipe down your skin with iodine yeah. for like one second. And then they inject directly into the joint capsule and it's scary sounding and it hurts, but it works. But you know what works even better is actual stem cells. like. If I had actual stem cells, I would only have to do one injection. But because I'm using this platelet-rich plasma, which is like one twentieth of the amount of stem cells that you get from a stem cell injection, you end up having to do like 20 injections. You know, doing it the slow way. But like, a, if you ever wonder why like a professional athlete can destroy their elbow and their, or their shoulder and then come back in a month and start playing again, that's how they do it. Oh, oh wow, damn! Like nobody ever thinks about this, but like. 
how does an athlete come back after an injury like that? You watch it happen on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're back, mm-hmm. professional football player. They're back a month later. It's because they fly down to Bermuda or whatever, or you know, somewhere in Europe or South America, and they do this procedure with actual stem cells, and it costs twenty thousand dollars. But they're back on the field in like you know a month or two. Holy shit! Whereas most Americans would be debilitated for the rest of their Damn, life. Damn, that's wild. What's crazy is that it's so far under wraps. Like, how do people not know about this? Yeah. All the scientific data is there to prove that this works but the insurance companies won't touch it and that makes that makes it seem less legit but if you go to any other country in the world like why won't the insurance companies touch it because it's a it's been politicized even like the platelet thing yeah even the platelet thing because how's that politicized it shouldn't be but it's the same exact guilty by association you're you're utilizing the same mechanisms yeah guilty by association i guess it's fair to say that people being motivated against it don't have the best scientific literacy to begin with or they wouldn't be able to be convinced that this isn't something that should be funded they're using they're also using the slippery slope argument which is that well if you start using doing this then who's to stop them from eating babies (laughs) you know right that's the next step i heard you could use stem cells to regrow your foreskin Oh really? shit! Are you serious? Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. That's or you can so do bad. the thing that that guy did uh, on what was that show, Jimmy? Uh, How to with oh, John Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> the guy with the device. So crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. What did he do? Like, Loved that to guy. To grow his uh. Yeah, that guy's so funny. He, he had this like Rube, Rube Goldberg contraption where he put a device on his penis that like stretched the skin underneath the head and it attached to his bed with this like pulley system oh my god (laughs) and then he was also like he had like a weird music project where he was writing songs about like i want my foreskin back again (laughs) so funny i did not hear about this at all it's great it's such a funny character and the whole time he just has his dick out and he's just having a pleasant conversation with this other guy which respect why not that's yeah how it should be we should be able to talk to each other with our dicks out why not I got mine out right now. <laughs> Guy time. Isn't that what you said earlier? Oh, Sarah's gone. Take our pants off. <laughs> yeah. You said that. <laughs> I got them off right now. <laughs> I'm glad we ended on a lighter note, though. That's way funnier. <laughs> yeah. I don't want much, just want my foreskin back again. No, it's not TMI. I shared it because we're friends. My parents chose this road, but I'll choose where it ends. Don't I deserve it all? Gonna grow it back again. Roll it back again, yeah. roll it back again.